and welcome to this week's episode of Sorry You're In My Seat, a weekly podcast that unites two best friends on a quest to find the greatest movies of all time. I'm your host, Aaron, and each week I have the pleasure of talking movies and films with my best buddy, James. Good day there. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. If you're downloading this show, thank you. Hope you're safe, hope you're well, hope you're celebrating with family, friends, or whatever you're doing, doing it safely. Yeah, we, you know, Merry Christmas from the two heroes at Sorry You're In My Seat. Have a great one, no matter how you celebrate. And uh, it's been a great year for movies. <laughs> Sorry. Not for cinemas. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but it's been a great year for movies and streaming sites and services. Uh, and so we're going to cap off our kind of last one before we do our best of 2021 episode, which will be next week. Um, we're going to end, it's our Christmas special. Each year we kind of celebrate Christmas in different ways, quizzes and games, uh, specific, special, uh, playthrough episodes. This week, no exception. We are going to the 1990 classic... Die Hard 2. Die Hard 2, Die Harder. Because if Die Hard is a Christmas movie, Die Hard 2 is a Christmas movie. Mate, it's more Christmassy. It's Christmas Harder. Why is it called Die Harder? I, t- I think it was... It was going to be called Die Harder, wasn't it? Oh, sorry. I've got, I'll go through it in a moment. But um, yeah, they changed the name. It, that, oh, it was supposed to be the tagline, wasn't it? Oh. It was Die Hard 2. And then the tagline was going to be Die Harder. But then it formally, when it came out on VHS, was labelled as Die Hard 2 Die Harder. It's full title. Can't win more. I know. Because the third one should have been Die Harderist. Yes. The superlative of, version of... <laughs> die Harder More. <laughs> Um, yeah, we're going to do Die Hard 2 because if Die Hard is a Christmas movie because it's set on Christmas Eve, because it is, um, you know, it's uh, got a Christmas soundtrack, it's got the connotations of Christmas in it, they God damn it, Die Hard 2 is as well. Do you know what? I'm going to go with a theory that, you know, by the end of this, I hope that you agree with me. I'm going to blow your minds out. I think Die Hard 2, Die Harder is more of a Christmas movie than Die Hard. I'm willing, James, for you to tell me this thesis. Right, okay. Well, it, it, thus, it begins thusly. <laughs> First of all, let's take the first one. It's an office pie. A Christmas tradition, that's fine. What you'd say is he's he saves a lot of lives quite Christmassy. He's set at Christmas time. However, Die Hard 2, Die Harder, and I refuse to not use his full title, <laughs> about connecting families. He's mm. trying to connect his own family. However, there's a lot more at stake here. There's a lot of planes, but a lot of families in the air. A lot of people down there, there's more snow. Snow was missing from the first one, mate. I'm just saying. A lot more Christmas hats because they're in an airport. There's a lot more Christmas going on. More Merry Christmases said sarcastically in this one at a count of nine as opposed to six in the original. Yes. I'm just saying, mate, Christmas is all over this film. Die Hard 2, Die Hard, it is the Christmas movie. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like internet, come at us. Is it? Is it? Because <laughs> I just made up some of them statistics. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it's worth a rewatch, Die Hard 2, Die Harder. Um <laughs> It, this time of year because you're right I mean it's a weird one though because Die Harder Die Harder 2 Die Harder <laughs> came out in that's never uh, not going to be not funny to me I think they both came out in June yep that sounds about right yep or I think Die Harder 2 Die Harder was extended to July because of uh, having to cut the movie somewhat um, and it came out in July but yeah so not it didn't come out at the Christmas time of year but it is Didn't drenched in Christmas. <laughs> if it wasn't a Christmas movie, it's fine. <laughs> Before we get into Die Hard 2, Die Harder, should we go through anything else you've been watching or any catching up this week? I've done quite a lot. I mean, it's been, everyone knows me, I'm a bit of a slut for the small screen. And mm. can I just say that on a week in December when they drop the second series of The Witcher, which I'm a huge fan of anyway, and uh, Esther, my girlfriend, um, watched the first season in anticipation for The Witch 2. She'd become a huge fan. Mm. Now, that's very impressive. I was quite proud of her. She works in retail. She's very busy. 
but nothing more than when I said on Wednesday, what tickets to see a certain film at noon and you need to go watch one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, kind of nine films in preparation for this. And I'm talking fucking Spider-Man, mate. So she had to watch the original trilogy, all of Spider-Man. I wanted to drench me, couldn't find a copy online of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I was getting her ready for Spider-Man. Oh, Spider-Man and Spider-Verse used to be on Now TV. Yeah, it's not. Well, we didn't have access to Now I think TV. we gave it away on this podcast, didn't we, a few years back in Blu-ray? Yeah, possibly, yeah. Oh. yeah. So uh, so it's been a, it's been a, like a rehashing of a lot of things. And I didn't realise that The Expanse, which was number five in my top TV series on that episode, go back and listen, it's in its final series. It's released two episodes on Amazon. Mate, I'm... I'm it's Good a, week. It's a great time to be unemployed. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> well, I am employed, but yeah. I have still watched a mighty amount of film and TV because I've, I was ill. I think in the last podcast I talked about that I couldn't drink the virus, and then after that I came down with a viral infection, so I had some time off. Um, you know, peeking behind the the, uh, the curtain of this podcast, we've delayed recording this, so there's, we've had additional time to watch movies and films. Can you remember... A few years ago, I was ill and I watched a load of Gerald Butler movies to try and make me better. Yeah. Because I was like, only one thing can beat man flu, Gerald yeah. Butler. And somehow you got worse. And somehow I got very worse. Visited you in hospitals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, year, this year, I did the same thing. And I was like, only the Stafe can save me from this viral infection. So I watched about five Jason Stafer movies um, whilst recovering in bed. But I did watch a whole host of other things. Um going to talk about Spider-Man in a few moments. We'll mm. do a spoiler-free kind of what did you think about it. But yeah. Hawkeye. Are you watching Hawkeye? I am not watching Hawkeye. However, I know that it's except Christmas and I think it looks pretty good. It is good. There you go. I know I, a lot of people were a bit worried about it because they were like, they were getting vibes of Die Hard meets Disney. But I was like, no, that's that's their wheelhouse. They'll knock this out of the park. Yeah, it is good. It is low stakes kind of when you look at the other ones and, and the other, you know, shows have been, you know, kind of themed, haven't they? You know, I thought I really like Loki. I thought WandaVision was okay. Falcon Winter Soldier, good. Um, WandaVision, actually, I really liked it. Actually, I'm going to hype that up a bit better. But um, yeah, th- this, I had no expectations going into Hawkeye. It's delivered. It's got, you know, Hayley Stanfield in it. I know you're a big fan of every oh, yeah. time she's been in movies and stuff. Um, it's got, yeah, kind of cool storyline. It's kind of low risk. It's about, a, you know, uh, it's a case that wouldn't make a feature film, which is good, so which is what I think these shows should be about more so than saving the world again, but over six parts. <laughs> um, but uh, but it's leaking now into some bigger territory. We've got the final episode and there is a big bad coming into it who I think the internet is all excited about. Oh. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, would it's I be delivered. Excited? Huh? Would I be excited? Yes, you would be excited oh. who the big bad is. Well, let's, do you know what? I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing because I don't like things seeping into other things. It's a point that I like to make at another time and a later mm. date. But it's, uh, yeah, Jeremy Renner in this is, is is pretty good as well. And, you know, Hawkeye, I mean, he's got a lot of nods to like the original Avengers, obviously, and Natasha Romanoff's death is kind of plays heavily in it. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty good. Hawkeye's good. I'm also watching Dope Sick on yes. uh, Disney. Yeah, that is the most Mike uh, Adam McKay TV show I've ever seen that Adam McKay weirdly isn't involved in. But it it screams if this was a movie, Adam McKay would have directed it. It's so good, isn't it? It's everyone's on poor uh, on board. And what's really funny is is the story is is so in your face, like it's, it makes you angry. It's mm. one of the TV shows I've sat there going, "How did you get away with this for so long?" Went on the internet, researched it, and. Then, if a show gets me so interested in an event or something, it gets me so passionate and, and you know, riled up and I'm on the internet, like on message boards going, you know, no. <laughs> if anyone hasn't seen it, it's, it's about um, a big pharmaceutical company in America, uh, Purdue Pharma, who release a pain medicine, um, Oxycontin, which has opioids in it. So notoriously opioids not used in painkillers because of the addictive nature, but it goes through um, a kind of, cl- a, court well, case or kind of clinical case around the fact that they potentially lied around their research and 
what I really like about it is it's got the three storylines. So it's got his introduction, then it's got his use, and it's got the aftermath. And mm. they're all you, there are some there's some great talent in there, some great acting. And Michael, Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton's on the fast track to becoming fucking the best. Yeah, again. yeah. And he was so good. Richard Dawson's in it. It's also got Will Poulter in it as well. It's a it's a good cast, good story. It's interspliced really well between the different years, um, and it is also just shocking. And that and that you know the the heart of any really good drama or. Uh, particularly like true life drama or documentary or TV series like this, you need it to be, it's so outrageous what happened that it is true, you know, that kind of storyline. But um, yeah, the kind of the lengths that the pharmaceutical company go to, to try and legalize this drug lying kind of through the back teeth to get it on the market, which then caused, you know, addictions and crime and prostitution, all these things to kind of go through the roof because of people getting hooked on it. It's shockingly scary, actually. It's shockingly scary, but it's it's just a stark reminder that the world you live in is doomed. <laughs> so there you go, always watch it. What I love about it as well is it's a scene in the late... Have you watched it all? Yeah. Uh, there's a scene, it's just a, a knock-off line in the, late, the later episodes where we go, we start talking about uh, the crime use, and they go, oh, they don't use it anymore. It's it's cheaper and safer to use heroin. Mm. <laughs> and you're like, shit. <laughs> so. He's an eye-opening uh, TV show, really well made. I also watched The Last Jewel. Oh, wicked. Did you like it? Yeah, I did. No? I did. Uh, I mean, right. What so I love about time, it is it, people were arguing that it wasn't in the cinema. And then a week after I said, do you know what? I quite liked it. The parts I don't like, uh, you know, the ending I knew that you you might not be a fan of. But but what, what I love about it is a week later, it was on fucking Disney+. Plus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's where I saw it. So <laughs> scrolling through Disney+, Plus, waiting for the next Hawkeye episode. I was like, oh, Last Jewel's out. Two and a half hours. I watched that. Ridley Scott, Adam Driver. Um, obviously Matt Damon, Ben Affleck and Jodie Comer in it. Uh, yeah, I mean, you talked about this a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to go into the, the full story, but it is, it's shot over three narratives about an incident that uh, where a certain character is accused of rape um, and it leads to uh, two of the main characters offering each other out in a duel, the last duel um, in French history. So it's, um, I, I did like it. I did like the performances. I like the subtle differences in when it showed you someone else's retelling of the events and then the third telling of the events, there were subtle changes in people's mannerisms and behaviours that weren't obvious. You know, like yeah. when Matt Damon retells his account of think what happened, um, you know, he's a really good husband, good father. Uh, no, I'm sorry, good husband at this point. Um, you know, a noble man kind of thing. But then when you see Adam Driver's side of it, he's mm-hmm. Matt Damon's a bit arrogant and a bit hot-headed and but they're subtle very small changes it's not yeah. like he walks in you know kind of like <laughs> slaps his kid yeah with a big <laughs> big foam finger and a, and a monocle you know and it's like it's not it's just very sort of like that but and it is gory and it is graphic and those things i didn't really mind too much but by the end i certainly was like i don't think it needs to be this graphic i i you don't need to tell me that medieval times jewels were violent i get that uh, it just kind of went out its way to be like yes, and here's someone getting stabbed there and here's a bit more blood here and then we're going to finish this guy off doing that. And you're like, really? Did it need all of that? <laughs> well, what, what was your opinion on Ben Affleck who I think was just like, imagine like some sort of count, you know, but imagine he's an influencer on Instagram because he was quite clearly on a different script, wasn't he? He was, everyone was doing like period piece and he was going, be a bit of a twit. <laughs> yeah, Ben Affleck certainly went out there. Bear in mind that this is around Charles VI who was the mad king who thought he was made of glass. Ben Affleck steals the show for the <laughs> maddest in this film. Like he he looks the part, and he and he is. I mean, it is. It's a it's a it's a serious film to watch. It's yeah. a serious drama, and he is there for the release and the tension release. Um, but yeah, he is somewhat out of character to the others. Matt Damon was going for an Oscar with this movie. Yeah. 
Um, but I, you know, I think he was very good in it. And I, I like that. I think what lets the film down, ironically, is the film. I think the acting's superb. Yeah. And the dress design, the set design, I think it's all working. I just think it's a bit weak, especially in the, because you've got three distinct storylines and one of them to me is is not, it doesn't work. Um, I don't want to get into spoilers, but that's a very good film. I, I quite liked it. I liked I did, it a lot when I thought it was going to I did to. think it was okay. I didn't I did, I did think it was bad. I didn't think it was It was amazing. I thought it was kind of like, it was like when I watched Robin Hood, the other really Scott uh, Robin Hood movie. I was like, it was all right. You know, I, yeah. I'm not going to go away thinking like Mark Strong and Russell Crowe by any means are going to beat Morgan Freeman and uh, Kevin, Kevin Costner. Costner. No that's, chance. It's a weird Freeman. sentence, isn't it? <laughs> it's a weird sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then I watched straight after that. I watched Outlaw King because while I was in like a medieval, like, yeah, I was, yeah, I was like, let's just go watch the, the Chris Pine movie. I was gonna say it's gonna it's gonna be a weird a sentence now when you say, oh, the Chris Pine when he plays a Scottish king. <laughs> yeah, yeah, when he plays uh, what's his it, Robert the Bruce. Robert the Bruce. That movie because I was gonna watch it when it first came out and I didn't because I think I just watched the King, the Timothy Chalamet one, and I was like, I, I kind of wanted to see it done right. I don't want to see Chris Pine do this. Yeah, and and, and this is Braveheart too. Yep. Let's be honest. Um, but I, I think I it's know, set. I think it's set directly after Braveheart as well. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure it sets itself. But it kind of corrects some wrongs, doesn't it? Because there's a lot of historians said, well, Robert the Bruce and uh, William Wallace never met, so mm. Braveheart, the Mel Gibson movie that he won the Oscar for. Um, is historically inaccurate. What? I know, who's shock horror. <laughs> um, and this this one kind of picks it up. It would naturally be where Braveheart ended. And it, I mean, again, it's another movie that I quite enjoyed and you can't not be impressed by the kind of the, the whole scope of this movie. Like it felt huge and it felt, you know, like they really did time port into like a, a, a time long ago. And it did, it was immersive. And so I quite enjoyed it. And Chris Pine pulls off a Scottish accent pretty well, actually. It, it, of of the school of bad accents, he's not a member. Mm. Um, I don't know where you think it went wrong for me. And I'm when an actor goes outside their wheelhouse or when a writer tries something or when a director goes out of their genre, I respect him. I go, do you know what? It might not have worked, but you did phenomenally. Mm. Chris, Pine, Chris Pine, the fact he doesn't do a one-liner, mate, really upsets me. I'm just like, no. Mm. It, it's missing that. When I see him, I'm just like, why aren't you cracking wise? It's also, it's also got Fingy Cosmos in it, isn't it? It's been a while. Which I means it could be a Braveheart sequel. <laughs> Is it James Cosmos is in it, and uh, but it's also got your man uh, Baratha and Stephen Delaney in it, isn't it? Yeah. So it, it's that's got a good cast, and it is, and that movie as well is one of them where it's like it's overly graphic in scenes. It's like just in case you at the back didn't know, medieval times bad, <laughs> like like people got hurt. Oh mate, <laughs> like, the toilet situation. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> you yeah, stay out of that. There's a there's a lot of like showering in rivers and then um, people being hung. And I I was watching it like and it was like two in the morning because I couldn't sleep. And uh, like man gets hung and then gutted at the same time. And you're like, was one not enough? <laughs> you had to do two. Like we get it. Medieval times very bad. <laughs> but, that's uh, that's that's something, isn't it? Yeah. Do, do you find yourself going down the rabbit hole a lot? Because for me, it's fantasy. Because Lord of the Rings, mate, one of my, I don't know what the listeners think, I was one of my favourite things. Say, were you here for nearly like three hours? Talking Lord of the Rings was amazing. Witcher 2 coming out, rewatching The Witcher. It made me check out another um, sci, not sci fi, fantasy show on Netflix called The Cursed, which might be the worst thing I've ever seen. It's shit. Mm. It's, a, it's a retelling of the story of the Arthurian legend of the sword and the stone, but Arthur doesn't pull it out a uh, Britannia witch lady pulls it out. I got his shit. He's yeah. so bad. Don't watch it. Avoid like the plague that she has in it. <laughs> <laughs> so bad that even Netflix canceled it and they give anything a second series. But, um, sorry, I was just, I was just really interested that you went down that route because I'm currently going down a fantasy meat hole. Meat hole? <laughs> what? 
<laughs> I, Rabbit hole. <laughs> I, did, I did. Yeah. I mean, I thought Outlaw King, now is the time to get it done. Because yeah. I, I also knew that the Jason Statham movies were coming at some point. So <laughs> I was just trying to get some some dramas in there before. I did crack on with some Christmas movies, obviously, this time of year. Krampus. I watched The uh, Boy Named Christmas, the new one that's on Sky. Mm. Ours. Um, and then uh, Polo Express, you know, did the usual ones. Yeah. But then I watched a movie that, this is weird. Like when you go on Amazon, I've done this where I've gone on Netflix and it's like, this movie will go on December 24th or something like that. Yeah. This is we usually review them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, get this for the down the wire, James. I went on uh, Amazon last night and um, it was like, this this movie leaves Amazon in three hours. <gasps> That's how specific it was. That's a challenge. And uh, the movie is two hours and 45 minutes long. Mate. So I was like, get it on. And then I kind of wanted to wait 15 minutes to see if it would just <gasps> go. Or or if you've locked in and you're watching it, will it let you carry on? But, um, or it just comes up with like a pay symbol. You know, it's just like, yeah, you have to pay you, now. You pay for the last 10 minutes. <laughs> yes, but you heard that right. Two hours and 40 plus minutes. And this is, it's a movie called Dragged Across, Dragged Across Concrete, Ooh. which is a movie that, I kind of wanted to see, not enough to go out and, and seek it out in cinemas when it came out, but enough to kind of keep it on my radar if I did come across it. And it's um, and the reason why is because it's by a director called uh, S. Craig Zalia, who did a movie called Bone Tomahawk, if you've seen that film. I've not, but I've heard you talk about it. Yeah. It's, so that's it's, enough for me. It's a, I've, I've lived that film. It's a, it's a Western drama that turns into a horror at the end. And when I say horror, James, it turns into a horror. It gets very, very horror, like very horror at the end of it. I think it has a scene in it called that scene where people talking code. We're like, have you seen, you know, that that scene? That's that it. scene. It's it's that horror like kind of thing. Like American Pie, when everyone's talking about that scene being the most horrible, it's usually the start because it signifies the beginning of the movie. I know. And you just want out. Or that scene being the whole film. <laughs> but Dragged Across Concrete, it stars Mel Gibson, Vince Vaughn. Um it's got Jennifer Carpenter in it, Laurie Holden in it. Um it's it's got Don Johnson in it for a scene. Oh um, and Michael J. White's in it. So I, it's a free movie. So if you don't know uh, S. Craig Zally, I'm just going to call him Craig for the time being. Mm. So Bone Tomahawk was a, a, also a very, very long movie. And this guy, this director, he's a screenwriter director. He's done a lot of stuff where I think I was reading online, something like 30 of his films and screenplays have been bought by studios, never turned into anything. <laughs> so a lot of the time people buy them. So another studio won't. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they'll hold the rights to that movie for so long. So he's now started to actually just make his own films. So, um, and, and he does them that way, you know, with kind of without any barriers, without any studios, which is why these movies tend to be so long, as long as they are. This one in particular, so it's a stakeout drama. So Mel Gibson and um, Vince Vaughn play cops who are caught at the very beginning of the min- movie, rough handling um, someone who they're, they're arresting. It goes on the news. He goes on, you know, and they get a six week suspension because they were too rough with this guy that yeah. they were that they were um, arresting. Even though they took off the streets and out of schools, uh, this dealer was putting drugs into the school system. So even though they were doing a good thing, the way that they did it caused them to be suspended. It, whilst they get on the serving their six-week suspension, you learn that both of the cops have got uh, backstory lines that they need money for whatever reason. Mel Gibson's obviously aging. He's got a wife who's ill. He wants to move out of the neighborhood that he's living in because crime is on the rise. Vince Vaughn wants to get married. He wants a better life, all this kind of stuff. Um, So they get tipped off by a shady individual that there's a robbery going to happen. And these two, mainly Mel Gibson's character, decides, well, we are going to rob the robbers. We're going to let them do the crime. We'll follow them. And when they then go to where they're going to go, we will rob them and it'll be, you know, that's basically the storyline. Yeah. You can do that in 90 minutes. I'm not going to lie, James. You could do that in 90 minutes. 
Three hours, this movie, because it doesn't say, cut corners. Was say, that's the, that's, isn't that Lock, Stock and Smoking Barrels? The, it, that's it's it. not and original. They, and they do that in about an hour and a half. Yeah, it, <laughs> so. so it's not the most original of storylines. It is a movie that moves at its own pace. It doesn't cut corners. So like the stakeout scenes, you painstakingly <laughs> are in the car with them. There is a scene where Vince Vaughn, in a single cut, so he eats an entire sandwich um, uncut and Mel Gibson's just staring out this window and at the end he goes thank fuck you're done and it's, it's that kind of movie <laughs> and you as an audience agree yeah exactly because he's just chewing his mouth open it's oh. one of those kind of scenes oh this is the director also who did um, what was that Cell Block 99 or whatever it was called with Vince Vaughn in it I've the one where, that one. where he beats up a car yeah that's it yeah. so you know that's the, that's the style of this movie it's very slow and but the and the whole movie is just depressing and bleak like there is in the center of this movie a character is introduced at the end of the first act where you get a bit of backstory where you're supposed to think oh here's a bit of rare sunshine in this movie only for something utterly horrific to happen to that individual about 15 minutes later where you think a why did that person sign up to that role and b you've just put that in there to depress the audience even more you know it couldn't be any you know it's just like Oh, it's the first day away from my young child. Ooh. You know, like uh, I, you know, I'll be back at five. No, you won't. It's just really like depressing in the middle of this movie. It's called fifty-two minutes before retirement. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's um, and that's the way it is. It, and also, it didn't have to be an eighteen. There's two scenes oh, in this movie. I don't that, like that. Yeah, if you took out two scenes or edited two of these scenes and implied the violence, you could have made this film a 15. And you certainly, and this is the first time I'm ever going to say this, could have cut out an hour of this film. <laughs> normally, normally you say, oh, you shave off 15 minutes, you know, cut off 10 minutes of the movie. No, no you could take an hour out of this film. <laughs> there was a lot of them just sat in the car watching a building, waiting for someone to come out of it. And they're just talking dialogue. And I suppose as an actor, you know, you sign on to these job roles because you know, the director is going to give you that freedom, going to give you that space, going to give you that screen time, but you have to be invested. You know, I knew full well that I was going to have to watch this movie alone, you know, because well, Emily's not going to want to watch this movie for three hours I, of this I don't film. think anyone is. <laughs> no, but that, that's not to say it's a bad film. Now, also, you notice I've skirted around the fact that Mel Gibson's in this movie and it is deliberately, um, you know, on the nose of Mel Gibson, you know, like, so he's caught, um, yeah. he didn't realise he was being recorded. You know, it's one of them films where it deliberately, you as an audience member a minute ago, oh, how how fucking on the nose is that? And like, it's supposed to be. Like if they cast anyone else, it would be lost on them. It's like Jason Bateman, they'd be like, I don't get it. Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> you know, he's deliberately been cast in this movie and for this storyline. And, you know, it kind of gives you that, um, you, you know, that that hope that Mel Gibson once was good, you know, and yeah. for, for his personal... Um, you know, uh, how he is in, in, in his real life is one thing, but his acting and his work, he actually was good. And Vince Vaughn is good. You know, it does have them scenes in it where you're like, they are good actors. Yeah. It's a shame about Mel Gibson obviously not being a good human being. <laughs> yeah, it's um, a shame, isn't it? <laughs> and, you know, it, it, and like I say, it's, it's a shame because it is one of them where the villains, in it, the ones that they're going to rob, are hyper-violent, you yeah. know, and it's you kind of want to see them get their comeuppance. Which yes. Is, so what I'm getting to is Drive Cross Concrete has now left Amazon Prime, so you can't, oh. even watch, you can't even watch it if you had the free, spare three hours. But I'm glad I kind of ticked it off my list. Don't get me wrong, like Bone Tomahawk, I'm never going to watch it again, <laughs> but at least it's ticked off. I might add this onto my list that you've perfectly executed for me, so I'll never have to. Like Bone Tomahawk is something that I've seen more times, I'm sure it's on Amazon. Every time I go past it and go, I only know that from Aaron's jokes on the podcast. <laughs> I think it was on, I think it's on Netflix or it was on Netflix. But it was on Netflix, it was on one of them. And I, very recently... It's, 
It's like a, what's it, Lars von Trier movie when anyone's like, would you recommend it? No, no, no. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying I don't want to be the person that gave that movie to you to watch. I think it's very important that you and I, when we do this podcast and we put a voice out there to the hundreds and thousands and millions of listeners that we yeah, definitely yeah. have, is that it comes with our stamp of approval and it sounds like this is a film you have watched, but it doesn't come with your stamp of approval. But maybe if you liked it, it did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just, just it, like, to me, it'll always be the house that Jack built that, that when I watched that film, I was like, I still don't know, mate. I'm 50% think that might have been a genius film. Well, 50% of it might just be dog shit. <laughs> yeah, and, and this is the thing. And horror is the most complicated out of all of the genres for me for that. You know, when I think about, I do a movie podcast with you and we talk movies every week, but I don't know movies that, you know, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm a nerd and I'm a geek when it comes to films. We're but, audience members, essentially. Yeah, so. we, yeah, we're people that love movies, talking about movies to people that also love movies. Now, but horror is the most complicated out of them for me in terms of genre because, it, you know, the whole point of horror is releasing anxiety and tension and fear. Yeah. By being scared shitless. And it is weird, isn't it? Because, it, it, you know, in all genres, someone's going to push the bar in what is acceptable and what you can get away with. And horror scares the fuck out of me because <laughs> there's some weird people out there, James, that will push that bar and push it. And Lars von Trier is probably the top one. But this dude, uh, <laughs> S. Craig Zalia, is, isn't far off, actually. Sounds like one to look out for. Do you know what? He's up there with, uh, is it Adi Astra? Um, Ad Astra, yeah. Ad Astra, that possibly has got a great one in there. He's got a great one in him. He will have one of these most, I mean, I already think Midsummer and Hereditary, I know we disagree with Hereditary, but I mm. still think for two movies, two for two, that is a director that he's going to hit one out of the park at some point. I'm going to rewatch Hereditary. You know, when I put through things, when I go like a U-turn, see if I, I'm going to put it in the machine, and but I'm going to not watch anything for a bit. Cleanse the palate, give it a go with someone who's never seen it before. Yeah, and you've got to take it in the stride of watching movies like Robert Eggers, the you know the the witch, you know, or or the, uh, the lighthouse. You know, yeah. it's, it doesn't. Oh. Those movies don't have to play by rules. You know, they can they can deviate somewhat. So this will make you laugh. My mum was on Amazon, went around, and she was like, "Tell me about the lighthouse." And I was like. I don't know how best to describe it. I was going, right, well, this kind of happens in here and this kind of happens. And then I realised I haven't seen it. Yeah. <laughs> I was recommending a film I'd never seen. Oh, you've got to watch it's, it. It's you that's seen it. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. I nearly made it my film of the year. Was it yeah. last year or whatever? I haven't seen it. <laughs> I'm sure I've watched last year with the year before. It's not, fucking not wicked. It. Our yeah. Pat strikes a mermaid in it. It's Weird, old. man. It's old. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> that's just an interlock into the next Batman. <laughs> William, William Defoe goes like, new level's crazy in that movie. And it's got like a really epic ending as well. Yeah, definitely watch Lighthouse. I will. But do you know what film I did watch that? You know, you talked about a depressing film mm. that really depressed you. What about The Unforgiven? It's the, this it's, is the Sandra Bullock This movie, is right? the, the Sandra Bullock Netflix, you know, so she did a deal with Bird Box as well, very quickly, uh, directed by Nora Thingshield, um, starring Sandra Bullock, Vincent DeFerrinio, I always get his name wrong. John Bethanol and Viola Davis. Ruth is released from prison after a long period in jail after she shot and killed a local sheriff that came to evict her and her five-year-old sister. Just 20 years later, Ruth has... Her, Ruth has to deal with adjusting to being in the real world. The sheriff's two boys who can't let their father's death go and the family that took and adopted her little sister. So there's a lot going on in Ruth's family. Ruth's life. So she adopted into the world. She meets some friends. She's trying to live, trying to exist, working all these different jobs. She meets a lawyer who helps her navigate this new world and tries her hardest to move on while forging new relationships as she works to get back in touch with her sister. Depression, mate, times two. Mm. Sandra Bullock gives a great performance in the film that's not always forgiving or gives a little to and fro. Great performances. Um, Rob Morgan is a name that you don't remember. However, I've had to mention uh, that he's the character that appears in Daredevil, Luke Cage, the 
he's the arms dealer that spans all of those series. Yeah. And when you last him, he gives a phenomenal performance as a uh, the parole officer. Fantastic. I never saw it coming in an award that's going to be called the Rob Morgan. Where did that come from? <laughs> <laughs> it's a very depressing film. Whilst I do not like the aesthetics of the film and it's really slow and, and quite preachy at times, uh, Sandra Bullock knocks it out of the park. It's yeah. really, it does another feather in her cap of performances that she can give. I always look at this as the anti-Adam Sandler. So Adam Sandler did a movie deal with Netflix and he just churns out shit. This is the second film I know of that's come under the umbrella deal that Sandra Bullock signed with Netflix. And it's again, brilliant. And Bear Box is still the number one movie Netflix that's is. brilliant. It should be. Yeah. It's fantastic. So there you go. There's I a... do want to see that. I saw the trailer for it a few months back and, and I noticed it's come out on um, on Netflix, but I haven't seen it yet. And I saw Aaron's film today. Aaron's I, film? I saw a film that was made and written for you. Which one? You haven't seen it. It's called The Mitchells versus The Machines. Oh, yeah. I've reviewed it on the show. Have you? Yeah, yeah. Oh. The animated movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't realise that. We did a whole episode on it. No, we didn't. Yeah, we did? <laughs> a whole episode on it. Well, I talked about it. Yeah. yeah Mitchell's versus the Machines. Wicked movie. It's an amazing film. I watched it about six hours ago. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? I loved it. I, did. I was watching it. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I, I really liked it. The animation style I thought was great. It, it's very modern, isn't it? It's very, like, we've seen the storyline before where we're all hooked to our telephones and, and technology. Yeah. And what happens if AI becomes too too powerful? I mean, fuck's sake, Skynet. Let's just stop pissing about with the machines. Stop making them smart. What a fantastic film. It is really good. Really and Olivia Colman as the voice the of... IPad. Yeah, that, she's so funny. Yeah. Like... I, I, I watched this film and it was so fun. It yeah. was really long for an animated film as well. Also, with these movies as well, they animated, it has that, uh, the, the bigger story is world invasion and technology taking over. The smaller story is a, a family that are um, distancing to, from yeah, each other. Just you want know. to connect, don't they? Yeah. Cross-country adventure, brilliant film. But how the, dad, how the daughter uh, finds out that, that what, what her dad's feeling through that scene fucking broke me dude that that scene was so well done which animation has a way of tugging on the heartstrings on a way like no other medium is is you know I've, every aspect of the film as it gets bigger and bigger to its end goal i enjoyed it mm. every i enjoy the the dan sullivan little kid and his shyness with girls just running out it's all brilliant I, I sold this to me this movie to you on on uh, two words alone james and you went i'm gonna go watch it i said giant furby Oh, I did watch it. Yeah. Well, I did watch it. Yeah, we know you did, yeah. yeah. yeah that, giant film. Furby. Brilliant That film. scene is so funny as well. It's all, but, but it's also it's also because it's the subtitles of what the Furby say mm. made fucking hysterics. Oh, that was brilliant. Yeah. It's like the darkness begins. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking brilliant. Anyway. Mitchell's Rest of the Machines. Yeah, and that's a recommendation. Do you want, it's up there for contender of best film of the year. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. loved it. Ne- next week when we do our... Um, Best movie of 2021. Yeah. That is definitely on there. So thank you. Um, very quickly, because I know people might have downloaded this episode to talk about... Right, I'm going to stop you there. No one has downloaded this for Die Hard One of the least least successful sequels or loved sequels of all time. It made more money than Die Hard. I mean, it was say, a massive success. Yeah, but people, the audience is, before the recent one, this came rock bottom. <laughs> this was the worst one. Even Die Hard 4.0 got better than this. Live Free or Die Hard. They never had a real good name. No, they? they're Die Hard. That die was hard. it. Die yeah, but even a, Die Hard's questionable, isn't it? <laughs> die with a vengeance? Mm. No, it's too in your face. Also, it doesn't really make that much sense. A I good, know it does, a I good guess. day to die hard. <laughs> That's pretty bad. That is bad, actually, isn't it? <laughs> um, finally, though, let's just, because it is the worldwide phenomenon at the moment, there is Spider-Man No Way Home. You and I had tickets to go watch this opening day, a few hours in. It I was- couldn't go. I had to bail because of work cancelled leave. Yeah, I had a nacho chair. So you had a spare chair next to you that, that was for me. Unfortunately, I couldn't go. But I did then go that evening to go watch it. I love the fact that you, you're lying. 
you had tickets to go see Cream. You want to sit on a big screen, you liar. Oh, I, no, I was going to double bill. I was going to watch it with you, then come home. I had oh, the day you, off. You dialed it. Uh, I was Batman. I did that with Batman. Uh, the Dark Knight, I did yeah. that. So my plan was to watch it with you, come home, have a few hours, then go Sheffield, watch it on the IMAX, see it on the big screen. But the IMAX, we, I'd previously been warned that we hadn't had the best seats because it was fully booked. So uh, that's why I was going to watch it with you. Oh, and, I didn't realise they even did seats. Do you remember that free fall we went? Anyway, I'm going yeah, off topic. So, I apologise. Spider-Man, spoiler free, uh, but nothing more than what the trailer already sets out. Peter Parker's identity has been revealed by Mysterio in, in uh, the guise of Jake Gyllenhaal in the last movie. Um and uh, Spider-Man's life or Peter Parker's life has now been ruined now that his secret identity is no longer secret. So he goes to Doctor Strange and he asks him to cast a spell, which will cause everyone to forget. But during the casting of the spell, Peter Parker can't keep his mouth shut and he keeps kind of interrupting it, which causes a fraction in the universe and other people that know of Peter Parker start to come in. So as the trailer suggests, these are villains from different universes. So we've got Doc Ock, we've got Alfred Molina returning, Green Goblin in, in the guise of William Defoe. Uh, Electro, Jamie Foxx, and we've also got... Uh, oh, is it rough? Evans, I always yeah. pronounce his name incorrectly. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, Sandman as well with... Um, oh, I can't remember his name. Hayden Church. Hayden Church. I can't remember his full name. There you go. Hendrix Thomas. Yeah, that, yeah, that's it. There you go. Anyway, so... Um, so no more of a storyline other than that. But yeah. what, what did you think? I really liked it. I did like it. I thought it was well worth the anticipation that had been building up since I first saw a trailer in early October... Um, I can't remember when it took over from Bond, you know, being the only trailer that people see. It was the most watched YouTube clip of all time in the fastest amount of time. Is it worth the anticipation if you haven't seen it and you're still thinking oh, and owing? Yes. Yeah, you need to go see it. It's a what I would call a spectacle. Without going into spoilers, mm. I was at times I wasn't watching the film the because I saw it on day one, really early. I it's fair to say that the screening I was in was electric, mate. They were raucous. Yeah. There was cheers, clapping. Massive goes. What do you remember? The stereotypical American movie, you know, beginning of Scream Two, uh, and they're in the cinema, and you know, everyone's like throwing popcorn. Going, what's that? It's mental. It's like a theme park in there. And as noise movie, you're like, would you all just shut the fuck up? It well, was like that. Yeah, because we had different uh, cinema efficacies. Yeah, and, and I, when I was in America, I saw Dark Knight over that way. Yeah, I and it saying. was loud. Like people talking, people shouting, people cheering, people whooping. This was For the this, closest. It, to it, yeah, this is the same. Same when we watched it uh, over in Sheffield. There's, God, I can't count the amount of times where people were literally cheering and clapping. Yeah, it was. It was a experience. It was. An, do you know what? I would say it's once in a lifetime experience because I don't think I've ever experienced that feeling in the cinema. I enjoyed the movie mostly. I do have massive problems with the with the storytelling elements of it, and I do think it's three movies and they're really distinct where they are. Like you go, oh, that's defended here, and but that's that's not bad, Ryan. It's you know it's. Unfortunately, you've got stuff a lot of MCU in there in these films now, which I always find is a letdown. I've mm. never watched a film and really enjoyed it because they in a Marvel film now because they always have to shovel in like the next phase, and I I don't like that. However, great sporting cast as well. So I think um, Benedict Cumberbatch was brilliant in like his role as. You have to get to the storyline. You have to use Benedict Cumberbatch because you need the character of Doctor Strange to make it happen. I thought he was brilliant foil. You know, he is a great curmudgeon <laughs> for the antics of a teenage Spider-Man and a sporting cast of Zendaya who's brilliant and phenomenal and has been throughout these last few films makes you continue to do so and uh, the character of Ned everyone loves Ned Jacob Ballon, Jacob Ballon. Mm. and uh, obviously uh, John Favreau returning John you've Favre. obviously got um, you say Aunt May's name I've forgotten she, she again was brilliant in the role Marissa that, Tomei Marissa Tomei it was, it was great again as well um, but let's be honest the real MVP is, is, is returning villains because that's 
that's what you're there for. You want to see how it works. And I will say William Defoe does not disappoint. Alfred Molina does not disappoint. Jamie Foxx is better. Mm. I thought they're I, all better. They're all so much they're better. better. They're, they're, they're so every, much better that Lizard gets a lesser role. That's good because he was shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my, my main issue with the movie was probably the Lizard character, um, Dr. Cooper's character. But I, I agree with everything you said. I, I don't see it. it it's kind of like when I watched Endgame where I, I enjoyed it and the experience was amazing. Um, you know, and it was electric and all that kind of stuff. But the hard work had been done for it. Do you know what? That's actually a point I was going to make and I was trying not to say it. You, the amount of films you have to watch to enjoy this movie is ridiculous. That if you were a first time going in there, you wouldn't have a fucking mm. clue. You wouldn't get it. But then the amount of people that they got in here and the amount of nostalgia, the amount of self-referencing of Spider-Man in all of its veins. Mm. Um, because bear in mind, we have had this movie. It was an animation a few years That's- ago, which was called Into the Spider-Verse, which I fucking love. Yeah. You know, so... I, so for me, for those points, it's fine. Um, I did have some issues with some of the plot points as well. But for me, the I think the anchor of the movie that makes it consistent is it is undoubtedly the best Tom Holland performance of yes. a Spider-Man. And it's actually up there with maybe one of the best Spider-Man performances in terms of he goes to hell and back in this movie. Yeah. And, and I think it's the first time... I like Tom Holland. I think a lot of the things he's in, he's, he's really engaging, he's charming. You, you know, I think he's... Also, one of them, he's, you can see he's spreading his wings and doing other styles of film. Yeah. And if you look at Cherry, you look at the um, that devil, I can't remember what it's called now. The one with Batman in it, yeah. Yeah, Rob Patterson in it. Um, you know, I just say the superhero names, that's my role on this podcast. You but, say an actor and I go, yeah, Superman. <laughs> but I, I, I thought this was Tom, a very, very strong Tom Holland performance. Yeah, it? I agree with that. And in the MCU, it's kind of... It's kind of like when Danny Jr. tried to do something different with Iron Man 3 and the character in that. And I found Tom Holland did this really, really well. So I thought for, for me, like he grounded the movie. I loved all of the, um, you know, without spoiling anything, the reason why people went to go watch this movie. Yep. All that stuff does, does not disappoint. It's amazing. But, but what I loved about it is there's more. There's you know, way there's more than way you more thought than that you were going to get with this yeah. movie. Yeah. So, yes, but I think it's an absolute home run. I, I think it's, yeah. and it's the film that got people back in the cinema which you know everyone was hoping it was Bond it wasn't everyone hoped it was Ghostbusters it wasn't Spider-Man it was packed mate and it's, mm. the screen is every 15 every half half an hour when I was there and I will go watch it again yeah if I'm not paying why won't I yeah and Zendaya is awesome and, and this this I, I didn't even realise this ends the high school trilogy yeah because also we haven't although there's lots of things you know it depends on what, where you get your news at the moment there's some stories saying Tom Holland's hanging it up there's others saying Tom Holland's just beginning um, I've heard that he said that before but then the film came out he signed on for three more well the, because we haven't had him work for the Bugle yet as the reporter the yeah. kind of the more the, I suppose the where the other kind of um, Spider-Man franchises and have gone there's, there's a lot more villains out there there's, there's Spider-Man's got like the second best villains behind the Batman there's mm. so much more but it comes to like the whole Sony divide as well, doesn't it? Because Sony are still coming up with movies. I think they'd be happy with their partnership. You know, they wanted to boost their own universe. That was where the whole deal came from. They get merchandise sales. I think it's a great advocation for rival movie studios working mm. together. This has worked. Yeah. So Yeah, yeah. So yeah, massive, massive hit actually. Really well done. Two uh, two after scene credits. And um, we'll talk about the last one. It's right at the end, very quickly. He's basically a trailer for the next uh, Doctor Strange. So that's not a spoiler. Mm. Really looking forward to that. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm kind of in the mood for. It, the thing Different. is, everyone's saying it's a trailer for Doctor Strange. It's like a highlights reel for Doctor Strange. Yeah, I guess it's so. kind of like sometimes you know when you watch a TV show and it shows you next week's episode and it shows you a load of scenes that don't really give you a narrative. Yeah, 
So like, I watch that and I'm like, okay, so I don't oh, really it's very, know. It's all over the place, isn't it? Yeah, I don't, you know, I, I, it's, yeah. But it, I'm looking forward to that. That is a huge movie next year. But what I'm not looking forward to, and there's again a point that you've just made, is the amount of stuff I'll have to watch to enjoy that film. Based on that, what, 30 second clip that you see, and you meet all these guys, that means I'll have to watch like at least two, two TV series, mm. like four movies. That doesn't interest me. I just want to watch a movie. And I comp- that was my ma- massive negative. Is like if I had not spent like 20 years watching superhero films, when I've come to this one, I won't have a frigging clue what's going on. And I know Disney listens to this show. Um, they do. Um, they've got eyes everywhere. Obviously. We're going to buy that soon, aren't they? Um, give Benedict Wong a uh, a TV show. Yes. Because that character needs... he. That's consistency. That Wong is, consistent. is so consistent. Wong is the untold hero as well. He is, mate. And he's always fucking off for a portal <laughs> that you've got to try and right, where's he going there? And what's that? Like Shang-Chi, I was like, where's he going in there? Because you can see string in there and, you know, it looks like he's taking the abomination back to a holding cell. So it looks like he keeps breaking him out to win money, which means he's a bit of a gambler. Oh. But then he's always giving Doctor Strange shit. He's like, no, do it by the book, mate. But actually on the side, he likes a bit of money himself. In this, oh no, that's a spoiler. So I'm not gonna say it, but yeah, <laughs> it, it, I give us Wong, give us more Wong. We need more Wong. I need more Wong in my life. Um, right, I'm gonna set up Die Hard and Die Hard to Die Harder, and then I'm gonna hand it over to you to do us a bit of a walkthrough for yeah. this movie. Which, as we say, it's our Christmas episode, I suppose, our last uh, episode before our best of 2021. I'm gonna celebrate it, go out on a high in episode 175 with Die Hard to Die Harder. Because we did die out a few years back around Christmas time. And then we did die out three. Yeah, so we, we <laughs> skipped this one. Apparently. That's how much people love this film. <laughs> <laughs> die Hard 2 is the 1990 sequel to the greatest action movie of all time, Die Hard. Uh, this two-hour action thriller reunites audiences with John McClane, who's waiting at the Washington International Airport for his wife's plane to land when terrorists take over the control system. So essentially holding uh, all of the planes that are circling above uh, hostage by turning the runway lights off in all the operating systems. Um, with planes unable to land and running out of fuel, John must work fast to find out who's behind the plot and how to stop them. So the film stars Bruce Willis, William Sadler. Uh, it's got Bonnie Badalina coming back into it, John Amos in it, Reginald Val Johnson um, and William Arston. Small roles from Robert Patrick. Yeah, and T- also T-1000. An even smaller role from uh, John S- Leguizamo. Sid the Sloth. <laughs> who they did dub in this movie, didn't they? Yeah. Oh, did so, they? Yeah, so it's not even his voice. So he's, oh. he's one line in this film. <laughs> but don't worry, John, your time will come a few years later when you get to your breakout movie, uh, Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> so the story is adapted from the book. Talk time machine, they go back and kill him. <laughs> uh, the story is adapted from the book 58 Minutes by uh, Walter Wager um, and was directed by uh, Rennie Harlan, who did Cliffhanger, did Deep Blue Sea and did Long Kiss Goodnight. This was maybe the weaker of his films then. I oh, no, he did. They, I just put the good ones. Like He did, <laughs> right, he did okay. some bad as well. Um, the film was a box office success, making $240 million off a $70 million budget, um, and it was more profitable and successful than Die Hard. The $70 million budget was way over. It was scheduled for $40 million. Bear in mind, of that, Bruce Willis, I think, was paid nearly $8 million. Obviously. Um, but it was a lot of reshoots, a lot of editing, um, a lot of... Light in Diode, you know when we talked about the movie Diode where obviously a lot of these soundstage scenes would use big uh, oil canvas backdrops to show the skylight and particularly the sunset scenes. This did the same, a lot of matte drawings with visual effects and was one of the first and pioneer movies, which is particularly noticeable at the explosion of the plane towards the end of the movie spoilers. So critics were moderately lukewarm with the movie. General consensus was they liked anything new or fresh, but it had enough entertaining set pieces to make this film enjoyable. Uh, overall though like most sequels this is less Roy Rogers and more Rambo 
Because like most uh, sequels, there's more explosions, the body count is higher, and the brutality is turned up. Uh, The analog cop who's out of his jurisdiction in the wrong place at the wrong time carries this forward from the 1988 Die Hard movie, but this time McLean is less apprehensive, more organised. He's got a lust for blood in this movie. So it is a (laughs) kind of a difference in that character, which I think is what a lot of critics kind of complain about, which was the original thing of the first movie. Mm. He wasn't Rambo. He wasn't an Arnold Schwarzenegger action movie. You know, he was... the wrong place at the time. Yeah, you know, you've got to look at Die Hard. He's he's first, like, three things he does is try and call in the cavalry before he realises, shit, I've got to do it. So it's the kind of like that reluctance hero. Um, so some trivia before we get going John McTiernan was set to return to direct this movie but he was tied up making Hunt for Red October a cracking film I absolutely yeah, love the Hunt it's not a bad movie to be doing instead of Die Hard 2 Die Harder is it he isn't <laughs> none of it was shot in Washington good in fact it was shot in Colorado Michigan California and on soundstage and in fact some of the scenes in the underground of the airport when he's running from location to location using the underground t- tunnel system was then later used in Dowd 4.0. Ooh, that is interesting. Have that internet, <laughs> a bit of trivia for you. Did you get it from um, the internet? Of course I did. <laughs> I'll be back. Um, Bruce Willis went on to say that he wasn't fond of two or three and thought that four was the stand-up sequel to Die Hard. He's obviously wrong. <laughs> didn't, didn't say that when you were cashing that check in, would you? What does he say about the fifth one? Well, this was before the fifth one. The best one. <laughs> this, this, this was an interview with Kevin Smith. Um, was this when he gave a shit? Uh, just you no, know, it was just as he was losing, giving a shit. Um, although Sorry. the bloodier of the franchise, it was still heavily edited. Um, additional headshots, stabbings, and etc. were removed, and the two plane crashes that happened in the movie were a lot more um, detailed as well. So, mm. um, in this, there's obviously a uh, the plane at the end, and then a plane that they crashed for the civilians. Um, they had to dial that right down for scaring audiences. Well, it's not like a swear word every like 30 seconds, then the yeah. original one and the, the dailies. One I of the actors. I can't remember. It's the guy who the, runs the whole... The, the, the air traffic controller, yeah. whose name I didn't run down. He, he said, there's a lot of swearing in this. And yeah. they, they ignored him. They watched dailies and there was an F word like every 30 seconds. They're like, oh, it is ridiculous. And Bruce Willis ad-libbed a lot of his lines as well, uh, which, you, you know, is why the jokes don't land. Um, because of, in the first one, a lot of the uh, compliments were around how kind of sharp-witted he was. So in the second one, a lot of it he ad libs. Bruce Willis' dad is actually in the movie. He plays the tow truck driver at the beginning of the movie. Oh. General Nepotism. Es- <laughs> Espinanza. Uh, Espinanza. Yeah. Esperanza. Yeah. Home Ryan. General Esperanza, who played by uh, Frank Nero, yeah. is from the fictional country of Valverde. Which is in another film, isn't Which it? is in Commando. It's Commando, that's which it. Which suggests this is a shared universe. But also, producers of Predator say that that Predator was shot in the jungle of Valverde as well. So technically, it means out there. And bearing in mind that we've had a crossover of Alien vs. Predator, it means that we could have a crossover of Die Hard meets Commando meets Alien vs. Predator. Who would win that fight? Uh, Not the audience. (laughs) (laughs) It would force the game in some carnation, wouldn't it? Um, Also, fascinating fact, we're sued by Black & Decker. Mate, I got that. Because <laughs> Black and Decker paid for product placement of a cord, their new cordless drill in a scene where uh, in the airport scene in the when when there's the uh, bottleneck yeah. um, SWAT team get taken out. John McClane is supposed to pick up a, a double decker cordless drill and use it to kill someone, which is great advertising for your yeah. <laughs> for your. Buy this, you can kill terrorists. And then because it wasn't in the final cut, they edited that scene. Black and Decker sued him for 150 grand. Yeah, and they should have won. You should have just got your money back. 
We did use the black and or, power drill. What I like to think was before I read it and went into the details, it's because they used it. I was like, I don't remember him killing someone. They should have killed mm. it, but oh, we don't want to PG it. Have him throw it at someone. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been a freaking epic scene where he just throws in the villain at the end. He goes, yeah, <laughs> it's him square in the yeah. face. Or just doing something remotely DIY with it, like <laughs> taking off the grid of a, <laughs> like, you know, of a, of a duck that he's got to crawl through. Between action, yeah, he's just like, oh, I'll build you this table whilst yeah. I'm waiting. Oh, same shit. <laughs> <laughs> Same shit, different year. But this year, I bought my Black & Decker cordless drill, 9-volt yes. battery. Yeah. There you go. But no, uh, Dial 2 is, uh, it, it, you know, it's it's not the most widely fond movie within the Dial franchise. I mean, luckily the fifth one came along and swiftly took away that bottom spot. But it is, it, and it does have some set pieces in it and it does have some pretty good performances in it. And I remember watching it for the first time and actually thinking it was quite a good movie on first watch. The kind of double cross halfway through, which we didn't yeah. talk about. Um, the problem is, is you, you, William Sadler, love him, love him, whatever, you know, he's not Alan Rickman. Yeah. So that's definitely going to go against it. See, I'm the opposite of you. I didn't like this film growing up and have turned the corner after watching it this week. I am the same as when I watched it the first time. Uh, I no, don't I've, like it anymore or any less. No, I've it's turned just, the corner. I actually quite enjoy it now. Talk us through it, James. Talk us through right. dialogue. Now, in audience, I want you to imagine Galandriel's music playing as she gives you a soft voice. The nine, the 80s is over. The world is uneasy. Unsure of what the 90s will ring, bring. It needs a hero, a man's man who will step up when no one else will. Bring forth the action. Bring forth the terrorism. Bring forth McLean. Mm. Taking inspiration from America's involvement in the Iran-Contra affair, the criminals are upgraded from robbers to highly trained United States Marines. The office party replaced with an entire airport in jeopardy and the bumbling police negotiator replaced with the most armed airport security slash police you will ever see. And now this is a question I don't understand. What are they? Are they police? Because they're, they're a fucking precinct in the middle. It comes up loads in this. There's a lot of police on there. But I don't, think, I don't know if they are the police because I think they might be airport security. I don't know. Mm. Why, why would there be a precinct in the middle of the airport? In, in, I mean... I get that there's security. I get that. Safety first, people. Yeah. And this is pre-9-11. Exactly. But also, the, the, this this it's coming up very early, but the first death of a terrorist in this also gets his head steamrolled in a uh, like in the baggage area. Yeah, do not go in there. But <laughs> also, you. like, I don't want to put my baggage in there <laughs> because apparently there's a steamroller in there. Do you remember how this film opens? It's a black screen that goes bang. It's like there's a massive boom, a loud noise, and bang, the title screen's in your face. You've just been fucking diehard. Like, diehard. <laughs> it's just bang, diehard, right. And it's, then it looks cold. And, th- and this, is, this is another thing about this movie is that you can tell it was shot in different locations because... The opening scene of of his car being towed, because rightfully he's in the wrong area. Well, I'm, with, I'm with the cops at this point. That's a point I'm going to bring up there as well. Yeah. It looks blizzard, like bad weather. Yeah. But when he's in the airport, through the windows, doesn't look that bad. <laughs> and then when he's out on the runway again, looks very bad again. Sometimes. <laughs> it's Christmas Eve. It's two years after McLean saved the hostages in LA, and he is at Dulles International Airport waking, waiting to pick up his wife, Holly. He runs back to the car, which is being towed, and begs them to stop. He explains that the car belongs to his brother-in-law and that he's an officer. The officer is consistent in his ignorance and ignores McLean's pleas. During this exchange, McLean is being paged. Just going to put this out here. Cock. <laughs> he also drops here that he's an LA policeman. He does. So it gives us a little bit of, at the end of Die Hard, he stuck it out. Transferred. By Die Hard 3, he's back in New York, but he is an LA cop apparently in this movie. He is. So he has done the transfer. So now, did you know, he fights members of the public to reach a telephone so he can phone the number back. Turns out it's Holly who's on the plane. 
Which means that if she's on a plane, then why did McLean park in the pickup section and why did he leave his car unattended? Mm. Corrupt John. <laughs> I fucking, I lost it at this point. I was like, so where's he been? Yeah. <laughs> Where has he been? He's You've like, got to oh, park no, it in the lunch day. I was just picking up my wife. I'm just pointing out there. She's not on the fucking ground, John. What are you up to, eh? Shenanigans. Just remember when I picked you up from the airport and it cost me like £30 to stay in short term. And I was only waiting in the airport for you for 10 minutes. Bullshit. Yeah. Looking, not getting no privileges. Fucking corrupt, John. During the call, John suggests they rent a car, get some room service, and get busy. So why isn't Holly's immediate response, why the fuck would we need a rental car? What have you done with the car, you asshole? And then Which I've got, period, is- alarm bells must be ringing, asshole John. That's his uh, <laughs> So he borrows a car. Yeah, he borrows his car. It's his in-laws car, so he borrows it, picks him up, and then immediately he's like, shall we go rent a car? Why is he going, well, how did you get here? <laughs> one, of the, one, of the, one of the goofs in this section as well is that the payphone that he's on has all the Californian like subway stickers on it, oh, right. showing that this scene they obviously did not in Washington. So, um... What, you know, if I picked you up and I was like, let's get a rental car. Alarm, alarm. I just think, John, so far, he's not the immediate hero that you want. But anyway, it doesn't matter about that. It's time to meet the bad guys. William Stewart. He's your average discard, disgraced former colonel leading a group of ex-military who plan to free a corrupt foreign military, General, General Ramon. Colonel Stewart starts his day like all disgraced military men by performing hot, sexy yoga naked before turning off his TV in a theatrical way. Now he's watching the news doing yoga naked. Yep. Now they added the scene at the end where they were like, look, he's not sinister enough. What's the most sinister thing we could do? Not like Get killing eat. someone. If they had two options, he's not noticed. It was do yoga naked or eat an egg after yeah. salting it. And they saved that one for the third one. Yeah, that's how Jerry Irons makes himself sinister. But in this, like that, that scene, like... Imagine being 99, you're, you're in the cinema and you're like, fucking hell, oh, this dude, this dude's off the chain. He's doing like yoga, Pilates, naked. But what I love about this is, did you know that um, the director and producers wanted to give actor William Sadler enough time to get in top shape for his naked introduction? So whilst that's the last scene that's filmed. So what I love about this is that means that, you know, after take, someone's like, are we coming, are you coming for a drink, Sadler? And he's like, no, 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 no. I've got to go work out because I get me balls out of the film. <laughs> and everyone must have just thought he was fucking mental. <laughs> I just think. Yeah. He also studied cry for like six months or whatever. For that? For that. <laughs> well, no, he does. He does cry chop McLean on, on the wing of an airplane later on. You that. Oh, oh my God. And also but how he turns off the TV as he well. Does, that is, that's so extra, isn't it? <laughs> Well, you've got to say he's given it all. He's given it his all. Did you know? Um, but basically, he leaves the hotel room carrying a Christmas present where he's joined by the most suspicious-looking gang you've ever seen. So they're all, supposed to, they're all supposed to be dressed up so they can easily fit in. They all march in single file into the elevator. So if you were anyone else, you'd be thinking, well, that's, that's clearly a gang. That's suspicious. They look very suspicious, <laughs> yeah, yeah. exactly. But it does show you the synchronised watch scene. Which, you, which they caught originally originally from, from the first, the first movie, which is a fucking huge loophole then in that film. Oh... If anyone doesn't get that reference, in the in the first Dowd movie, they cut a scene where they all synchronise their watches and that is how John later found knew that Hans Gruber was acting because he noticed he was wearing the same watch as all the terrorists. But if you take out the movie that shows the audience, everyone, all the terrorists wearing the watches, it means later on on the roof scene, you're it like, just, how did he know that he was Hans Gruber? So Just guesses. Yeah. At the airport, McLean accidentally walks into the villain. So that way we can say they've met before the final fight. <laughs> The colonel has the media in his face asking him for a word, but he's quite rude. A subordinate tells him that the colonel, that there has been a problem with a member of the team, but they don't discuss it further. Ooh, foreshadowing. 
Some members of the most suspicious group ever formed meet at a bar to exchange packages, despite the fact they were just in the same scene about six minutes ago and could have done it then, not in front of people. And also, you could, you could because what they're exchanging is like a present wrapped up. You don't have to do you it. You could just be like, oh, here's your present. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to put it under the table and just like smoothly kick it across. Like no one's going to go, fucking hell, did you see We just gave him that gift. He's a terrorist. <laughs> Uh, it turns out McLean is also there smoking a cigarette and becomes suspicious. It, I'll be honest, I actually quite like this scene because it's the scene that implies that McLean, he does, he's here to pick up his wife. He actually does a good job of trying to ignore it, but he can't. It's his instincts, his, his McLean sense is tingling. Mm. And what does he do? He tries to warn a police officer. He doesn't want to get involved. He warns a police officer. However, it is the cop slash security guard who told him at the start of the film. Then he immediately knows that he's not going to get done. So he's got to take it into his own. So yeah. I just quite like this scene. I think that scene works. However, there's something that I like to call the true detective paradox. When I see Matthew McConaughey drinking beer and smoking on screen, it makes me want to drink and smoke. However, watching Bruce Willis smoke is just makes me think I'm unhealthy. Just I don't want to, I want to go have a salad. There's, there's a lot of times in this movie as well, like particularly in the airport scenes at the beginning where he's smoking at like the reception desk, the help desk, and he just throws it on the floor and you think, come on, John, like littering. <laughs> but you've already got a parking ticket. Yeah, exactly. He's not that toad. Mm. Anyway, McLean follows two members to an area of airport that transports baggage because I can't remember what he was said. Um, and a firefight takes place. He kills one of the two people but loses his badge and is arrested. In, in the same way you just say is, I'm amazed if that's what happens that any of my luggage gets through in one piece. <laughs> it's not <laughs> It's not come through shreds. You're like, I accept that because <laughs> I know where it's been. It's been to hell. It's uh, that that scene is is awfully hammy as well, isn't it? Yeah, like when you see the um, like the industrial, it's like the 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 industrial behind the scenes of the airport. It's dangerous, and there's a network of conveyor belts with baggage going, you know, all around the world and all that kind of stuff. And they're fighting on these conveyor belts, and then he sees up ahead this like hydraulic press, this roller, this steamer, and he's like, "Yeah, take that man's head, squash." And you're like, yeah, but baggage goes through there. Like, yeah. it do, I don't know why that happens in that movie. It's got juice everywhere. Now. I got blood juice. And, and also, that that had to be heavily edited as well because you see the guy's head pop in the uh, the proper R-rated version. Yeah. Anyway, um, he gets angry at the police that they don't follow standard procedure, i.e., closing the area down, and he's marched off to see the captain. So you know, he's a, so we know he's got. Mm. No, he's a good cop. He's good at his job. Meanwhile, Holly is enjoying a conversation with a neighbour discussing the joys of modern technology. She flashes Holly her taser. Hmm, I wonder if that will come up later. Also, she's reading a magazine article that has a lethal weapon, lethal weapon coming it, yeah. out soon on VHS. Shy surprise, it's time for famous 80s arsehole William Atherton mm. to show up. He is very disliked by the stewardess team because of a the thing he did, a news article, and Holly gets free champagne for punching an unarmed man. What a hero. <laughs> Knocking out through his teeth, I love you know. Just, just bullshit. It's just absolute bullshit, this universe. That, that bit as well is really weird, isn't it? It's like, um, you're breaking, you're breaking a he, restraining order. But the, right, so they're going to land in 15 minutes because we know that because Holly is already paged saying I'm going to be 15 minutes. Yeah. It's at this point that William Afton's character is like, why are you kicking me out of first class? So where has he been for the, let's say, let's say he's, they're coming over from LA, which I think is it, right? Yeah. So they're going across country in, in America. I'm housing in a guess. I'm going to over exaggerate what, six hours, five hours. Let's say five, six hours. Let's go five. Where's he been all this time? Because they're not letting him in first class. And they're like, you're going to have to sit here, sir. 15 minutes before. We're what was he doing during takeoff, James? I like to think that he was, uh, sat on someone. He was sat on a kid. No one noticed. <laughs> Is it really weird? He's like, yeah, we landed in 15 minutes. This dude doesn't know where to sit. And then she's like, do you want a glass of champagne? It's like, fuck, I've been on this flight for ages. I'm spitting feathers. Now you're cracking out the bubbly. 
fucking hell. One star rating on TripAdvisor when I go back. TripAdvisor's the lifeblood, mate. You can't do that. It's true. McLean argues with the captain about failing his simple police procedures, and the captain is very angry with McLean for not letting these strangers straight up murder him. <laughs> he seems genuinely annoyed. He's like, you caused this mess. I was like, well, they were shooting at him. So- <laughs> yeah. I'm going to put it out of the dad, James. Yeah? Worst cop ever. <laughs> Because right? yeah, yeah, I mean, I know he's a cop in an airport, and I'm not saying you know I'm, if anyone listens to this, he's a cop in an airport. I'm just very careful. Or maybe screw up. We're still unsure of the structure. <laughs> yeah, but he's, he's like, hold on. Uh, there's a dead body. One of them has got away and is still armed. Yeah, but I'm gonna blame McLean. He's, he's like, just leave it. Just leave it. It'll, it'll, it's it's busy. it'll it's, sort itself out. It's busy. <laughs> <laughs> just ignore it. It'll uh, it'll go. McLean is thrown out, but he isn't done. So he steals some ink. And copies of the dead man's prints. This is where he gets his flirt on with a young lady and gets his old friend, Sergeant Al Powell, to run the prince mm. who's eating a Twinkie. Mm. So this is you saying you've got to bring uh, Val Johnson back just so he can do the scenes. He's like, when you start getting a feeling, insurance companies go bankrupt. It's like, uh, okay, okay, that's that's fine. Not the greatest ad libs. You've also got the scene as well where we've already established John doesn't get pages, he doesn't get earphone. Uh, doesn't get faxes. Ear- yeah, and now he doesn't get the fax. No. Just the facts, lady. Just the facts. He just, he's just, you know, he's analog in a digital world. And this is digital 1990. <laughs> I mean, you'd be fucked now with Bluetooth. <laughs> but what I'd like to point out is, though, again, like in the first scene, ladies, man, people like him, but, you know, he can't, he's taken. He's loyal. Mm. Got to show that. The prince come back. They belong to a dead soldier. <gasps> Died two years ago, man. <laughs> McLean literally walks into the air traffic control tower. <laughs> just, We've all done it. Just walks in there. We've all done it. All right. Just walks in. He meets the head honcho, Ed Tradu, and chief engineer, Leslie Barnes. Just as the captain starts sprouting more bullshit, shy surprise, the terrorists turn off the lights for the runways and kill all the backups. The terrorists are now in charge. The demand is simple. Let a, let a plane land and leave it alone. Also, they want a big-ass mother plane fueled and ready to go. The airport is forced to keep the planes in the sky and hope they don't start falling after running out of fuel. I'd like to point out, check this. If you don't get if you don't get feedback from Radio Tower, you're supposed to go to the to the next airport. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, what happened? So, <laughs> what happened? Yeah, so this is, this is where I think a lot of the uh, actors start questioning the script. Yeah. Those that weren't getting a massive paycheck <laughs> by the sounds of it. But, um, the ones who had something to lose by the film not doing well. And, and this, <laughs> so, is, this is where the, the, the Tower 58 Minutes of the book comes from, which is the premise of this movie, where they, they kind of took, took it over. Um, so on the side of all that, you see that the terrorists taking over a, a church, which church. is on the grounds of the airport. They set up a base. They take over the, the, the runway lights and the, the operating control systems. Do you know what? In regards, an early 90s, post-80s action thriller, it's not the worst storyline. Like, it's actually quite terrifying. Like, you're right. Don't go wrong. Any aeroplane that... um, that lost uh, radio contact with the, the where they were supposed to land. Bear in mind in America, even in the nights, I imagine there's quite a few airports that you could be diverted to. Yeah. And they do make a note, don't they? He's like, you have two minutes to divert as many planes or, or whatever it is that you yeah. need to. But, but any in the landing pattern have to stay where they are. Yeah. So, so there's that part of it. But then there's also, what I don't believe at this point as well is that even in the 90s, you know, airplanes exclusively could only pick up the bandwidth of that specific control tower. Like no one could just be like, well, I'll just go get a radio and I'll fucking speak to him from down here. You know, like this tower is the only tower bar the church that the terrorists are taking over that can speak to them planes. It's a known fact. You can communicate with any airplane from a church. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, Holly has a a phone on that plane. (gasps) (laughs) You know, like why didn't John just be like, I've got this number. (laughs) That my wife's just fucking paged me on. Why don't we call the plane and ask to speak to someone? 
and you say I'm the controller and then uh, you know, we'll have that conversation. Don't trust anyone. Establish a secret code, James. Do you know what you could say as well that that, that, that they, they've, the terrorists have blocked out communications, but that doesn't make sense because later when John's about to do something horrible, sneak it up on someone, she pages him and the page goes off. Yeah. <laughs> so the phones do still work. And I know that's only one plane and I think they mentioned that there's eight, isn't there? There's eight planes, seven oh, or eight that are- that- 20. Fucking Adam, I don't know. Yeah. Right. So I'm um, just in terms of storyline, it's a great like post eighties, early nineties, but I'm not saying it's watertight. All of a sudden there was a journalist in the command tower. <laughs> yeah, she got in there as well, didn't she? They are both removed. What I love about this is then the captain rings down and he says to me, he goes, How do these people go? Then the guy is surprised, but he stood next to the, the lift, which is the only way up. So I don't know, open your fucking eyes. <laughs> Did you do that? <laughs> just, what? <laughs> you think that, that that control captain would have been like You'd be like, you get out of here. You get out of here. And will someone lock that fucking door? Because <laughs> apparently anyone can walk in. Also, what I don't understand is they let McLean's here for the terrorist chat and then they throw him out. Like they hope that he won't cause a panic. It's like, oh, don't tell anyone that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Keep this between us. Yeah. Um, on the way out, McLean hears Art have a brainstorm about using an inactive antenna to communicate with the planes. Art is escorted to the antenna by a squad of Washington's finest police slash security <laughs> the bad guys have already thought about it and are waiting meanwhile and I haven't mentioned this because I don't know this character of Marv I don't know what's going on here McLean goes where he goes which is in the aqueducts he starts talking to himself this is like the scenes now where he's like why is it the same shit could happen to the same guy twice I don't like this but I hate when he's talking to himself he meets Marv who's like obsessed with like bombing Japan like, he, he like shows up and he's like Hiroshima <laughs> it's just like alright <laughs> He he's he's also he's like the troll of the airport. Yeah, because like, he lives underneath the airport. He lives underneath the airport, and it looks like that. No one's like he's got his own little little lair. He's got like a hula dancing girl. There's your X-ray material. He's just yeah. got he's got he's got like pawns of giant like stacks of porn magazines. But he's also got maps to like every single bit of the airport, including the bits that are new and the old bits. Mm. So I don't really talk much about it because I don't really know what to say. There was nothing good. If you, if you I, I also like that John McClane's like you know, detective senses were twitching at the beginning of the movie when he noticed two terrorists doing an exchange under a table. But, you know, he's, he doesn't question the fact that he just walked straight into a control room and there's some dude living under the airport <laughs> that seems to not be fit for human purpose. Like Everyone, everyone knows that about me. And anyway, 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 the bad guys, they start killing Art's team. So just going back to their, their motive as well. So they, they are taking over the, the controls for yes. one hour they want the the just to land a specific plane that is carrying a warlord like general that they they want to intercept. So they say, let that plane land safely. No one go over to it. Yeah. Then you have your lights back. Mm-hmm. Now I know you don't negotiate with terrorism, and that's the terrorists, and that's the kind of American way. But should, should, I mean, it's for the sake of what I mean, I, I, if I was a control dude, I'd be like, okay, yes, yeah, fine, take him. It's not, I've got no skin in this game. I don't know this dude. Yeah. I don't you know. know mate. I mean, if they did, be pretty boring film. <laughs> yeah, just, 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 just be just be him going. Uh, wait, he's like, no, he, like, when he removes from the command room, it's then him sat in a room going. At the cost of like all the other planes, like up in the sky with oh, like you know people. Plane. It like, he's thinking about his TripAdvisor ratings at this point. Do you know what I want, what I don't understand as well is you know all these all these armed like former marine people and like army dudes they can do all of this exquisite plan they can take over an airport surely it's just easier to shoot the guards when the, when the guy lands and just be like right come with us surely it's easier yeah 
Or wait, or wait till the plane lands and then hold them hostage and go, let him go, otherwise I'll crash all these planes. And also, if matey boy, who's just going to hijack the plane anyway from up in the sky, which is a big gamble. It's like, look, we're going to do all this on the groundwork, but up there, mate, whilst handcuffed, you need to take over control of that plane. Redirect it to a smaller airfield, not like an international airport on Christmas Eve. Yeah. Yeah. By the by, we also need to mention as well, Sheila McCarthy in this, who plays uh, Coleman, the news reporter, Fucks off out of the movie by this point. Yeah, but Only to come back at the end. She needs to come back later, so don't worry about it. Anyway, but you can't have a gunfight without John McClane. Mm. Using the air ducts, as his his way, McClane surprises everyone and shows up just in time to save Art from the terrorists and even kill himself for T-1000. Doesn't matter. And Luigi. And Luigi. Doesn't matter anyway, as the antenna is blown up immediately after. Oh, they knew they were going to do it. So they knew they were gonna, they They basically dangled it in front of him so that the team would waste time trying to take it over. However... Losing the team wasn't part of the Colonel's plans. Mm. Colonel Stewart is not happy about this. Not happy at all. So he decides the only retribution is to punish this insurrection by communicating with a plane in the sky, pretending to be air traffic control, and he crashes the plane. He does this by changing the depth of the the film. So basically it flies pretty much head on into the wall. Into the floor. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, sorry. Into the floor. I mean, it'd be pretty special. This bit is terrible, right? It is. It's like, we're just like British Rail. Oh, that's the point. I was was going for you. Yeah. Just like, we may be late, but we'll get you there on time. Doesn't he still still won't let that go, will you? But it's just rubbish. It's also got the dude in the cockpit from Star Trek. It has. It's got Colin Meaning. What I love about this bit, what I absolutely adore about this bit is, is, because it's British Airways, everyone's British. It's, mm. like, it's just like, don't worry, dear. Yeah. Tip, tip. I'm sure there's a guy in a top hat. <laughs> Windsor Airline. <laughs> I don't know about you, James, but I always fly Windsor. <laughs> anyway, uh, he crashed his plane into Grant, a specialist counterterrorism unit led by Major Grant show up. It's time to put an end to Colonel Stewart once and for all. So that scene as well, uh, we talked about it being heavily cut and edited. So there was, you were supposed to, or what, what happened in the original edit of the movie is it kept going to that plane numerous times and there was a little girl on the plane ah. holding the teddy bear that John then picks out of the rubble. That makes more so, sense. But they cut all the little girl scenes because, again, it was too terrifying. <laughs> um, you can't have your terrorists too terrifying. So when Johnny, uh, Johnny, when uh, John McClane then picks up the toy, the teddy, that's the reference is that you're supposed to see the girl beforehand. But that whole scene is pretty cool where John's like, look, I've got to do something. So he runs out onto the airfield with like the kind of the two poles with the fire well, he on just him. tries to make fire and he's just waving it down. But no, you know, I agree with that. <clears throat> Shows that he's desperate. Also, you've got to remember, he doesn't know what plane it is that's crashing. And also from the cockpit at this point, they've got the binoculars and like, McLean's on the airfield. Fucking great binoculars. Mate, Tom Nash binoculars. I know, fuck off Black and Decker. Like <laughs> advertise whatever their binoculars are because they can tell that that's McLean from all the way up there. Right. I've got the thing for you. <clears throat> Art, yeah, he has another great idea, and this one doesn't get anyone killed. He's able to send out a message to all the planes above him, and it explains the situations that terrorists have taken over. The planes decide to not leave the fucking area mm. based on this information. So Art has found a trick to record a message. So this is Barnes, played by Art Evans. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I've just put Art, sorry. Yeah, Barnes, yeah. yeah Barnes. So he, he communicates with all of them. He sends out a message going, oh, terrorists have taken over. When they communicate with you, that's not us. Mm. So the planes, with this information, decide to stay where they are. <laughs> I do wish though, because when William Sadler goes on comms and pretends to be air traffic control, he, like them scenes are terrifying because he does it so naturally, isn't he? He's mm. like, the, the runway's a bit icy, come in soft. You know, he does it, he, he's, you know, they should cut to a scene where he's like, uh, is that you, uh, Echo Breaker 1-9? And they're like, oh, it's the terrorist. Um, yes. 
<laughs> there should have been a maybe. <laughs> there should have been an interaction where they're like, "Yes, Mister Terrace, I mean air, air control." <laughs> um, it don't really irritate me. Mm. Is that or they don't? It's, they just stick around. The plane carrying General Ramon has a bit of a scuffle where Ramon inexplicably kills everyone on board, but it's all right because he can fly the plane, which is good. Everyone dies. But he has to land on a different runway, which John is able to get to first, which I quite like because it needs to explain because the terrorists would obviously have the plane land nearest to them so they could leave. So he needs to get in a situation where John can get there faster. The scuffle blows out one of the windows, pressure's going, he needs to land quicker. So that makes would freeze sense. in that cockpit, wouldn't it? It, it would, but I actually really like the scene. Mm. Now this is followed by John again, goes with Merv. Yeah, Merv, Marv, a bit of a weirdo. Anyway, he used the great system, the sub- subterranean system to get there first. He climbs up and he gets stuck in a grate as the plane's coming towards him. The plane, with John, he looks like he's about to get hit by wheels and he's really struggling. What I don't understand about this is when you just get back in the grate. Yeah, just <laughs> wait for it to go. Wait for it to leave and then get up. Anyway, it really pisses me off. Tension, James. You need a bit of tension in this scene. <laughs> and then the comic relief is when he shoots one of the guards when the door opens and he's like, welcome to America. And he just freed him, he goes, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nah, yeah. The bad guys show up soon and McLean is trapped in the cockpit as the baddies throw grenades in. McLean escapes using the ejector seat in a pilot's chair, which I'm fairly certain they don't have in that plane. I'm not even joking, mate. You could you could tell me whatever you like about the the time it takes for them grenades to go off. That scene is still epic. Do you like it? Yeah, I fucking love that scene. I remember when this was on um when this was on ITV, this was the scene they showed you in the trailer to make you watch it. It was yeah. just like it goes, uh, they but they always did something fun with uh, the dad who was like Put your hands up if you want to watch Die Hard 2 and then they show him exploding, rocket, you know. I'm sure they used to do shit like that. But I, I you know, because this is John McClane, it's the guy with like all the lives, you know, that shouldn't. So this is the Die Hard bit. In the first movie, you know, these are the scenes where he's jumping off the buildings like with a, a hose wrapped around him or pissing about in the elevators or whatever it is, you know, throwing C4 down the, down the elevator shaft. This is the Die Hard moment. It's like, because it, sadly it even says, doesn't he? he says, you know, how many laughs has he got? You know, like, see you next time, McLean, that kind of thing. Because this this is what you want to see him doing. He's getting out of situations where you're like, how the fuck's he going to get out of it? And then he ejects out. And it's so, for like 90s, like mate, baller, mate, that is awesome. And then he goes up and he gets to, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I love that bit. Mate, Dick Thornburg, he's William Atherton, he's able to tap into the cockpit comms and he realises what's happening. He rings his newsroom. He tells the world the truth of what's happening, making everyone panic. Come off the hour, come off the holly. She grabs that taser and she starts blasting, mate. <laughs> she starts blasting. Breaks into the toilet, which he hasn't locked. What a twat. He just, just, and she tases him. Everyone's fine with that. Also, that little old lady that she sat next to who confesses that she used it on a dog. So I did my dog with it. Poor thing couldn't walk for a week. Oh, evil bitch. Yeah, what an evil bitch. At that point, I would have took it off her and tased that old woman. Holly <laughs> starts blasting me. <laughs> I'd have loved it if she'd gone fucking, you know, she's really worried at this point. She just starts fucking blasting everyone. She's like, you have some, you have some. <laughs> Meanwhile, Barnes is at it again, using logic to locate the bad guys. Why is this man? <laughs> McLean scoops, scoops, <laughs> scopes, as well, scopes wrong, scopes out the church where the villains are hiding, using an icicle to kill a guard. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't like I don't like when ice is used as a weapon because it makes me think you would have lost that fight if the temperature was normal. Behave, mate. <laughs> Sylvester Sloan gorilla presses some dude into an icicle. Oh, it stands. The icicle stands. <laughs> it's a method to kill. Um, 
major Grant and team shows up just in time Actually, to Yeah, that's true for out. two with this director, isn't it? Killing it, people with icicles. Yeah. <laughs> He's got some fetish. Right? <laughs> Check his other films now. <laughs> um, basically, Major Grant shows up. They start reloading their guns. Ooh. At this point as well, is where uh, John Amos's character's Grant kind of gives McLean a bit of slack. He's like, you're yeah. the man, McLean. Like, you know, kind of, it's the first time McLean's seen as the only person doing shit. Yeah. On set, John Amos apparently and Bruce Willis historically did not get on. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, then that's actually some good acting then, because I thought there was quite the bromance going there at some point. Yeah, they uh, later on, John Amos was like, I'd, I would never work with him again. Now, the thing is, John, Bruce Willis did go on to do things, and John Amos didn't really. So that threat was, you know, there was no risk of them ever working with yeah, each other anyway. But I look at their lives, mate, and I imagine he's probably happier. <laughs> so, because Bruce Willis, he doesn't, he doesn't have joy in his life. <laughs> look at his films. <laughs> Um, a gun fight breaks out. Lots of shooting and reloading the magazines. The bad guys rig all the equipment they use to take control of air traffic control with explosives and flee the area on snow jet things. What aren't they called? Snow jet things will do. McLean catches up, steals one of the guns, but fails to do any damage with it. Mm. Major Grant and his team head to the hangar. He speaks to one of his men. And slits his throat. <gasps> That's actually a pretty good scene. Yeah, because that, that guy foreshadows that, doesn't he? Earlier on, he's like, "I'm new to the team. I yeah. think one of them got appendicitis, and they had to pull out. So now I'm here." That that whole that whole like going back though. Sorry to John Amos is like as Colonel Grant. <clears throat> that whole exchange when he first comes on the scene, gets out of the helicopter, or whatever it is, and he's like, "I told him everything I know." It's like, did you? Because that's quite incriminating that you are also a terrorist. <laughs> and then at the end of the movie, you're like, wait a minute, he is actually a terrorist. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, like I, also, I also kind of wanted John to be like, no, sorry, granted, but I told him everything he knows. Except, except for the terrorism. <laughs> except for the terrorism. But this one time we, we were like stuck and I taught him naked yoga. And, and, and I don't know if he's still doing it. You we, know. Used, we used to play this game in barracks. It was called uh, Who Can Turn Off the TV in you know, the coolest way. <laughs> the most he was always fucking one. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's what. And then he's like, maybe he's learned some new tricks. We, uh, I remember Christmas one time, we, uh, I got him a gift, but I had to pass it to him in a really suspicious <laughs> way. It just. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it's not the greatest exchange, is it? No. Like, Anyway, were you shocked? Because I, the thing is, I saw Die Two from a really young age. So I've actually never, I've always known as soon as he comes on, he was a villain, but I can't remember the first time I watched it and he was the villain. So maybe it's well worked. It's it's a good twist, actually, after through the movie. And do you know what? He's a bit brutal as well. He slits his throat. I also think watching it on the TV screen is one of the worst deaths. I hate things yeah. getting near the neck. I think it's brutal. The major is working with the colonel. McLean makes his way back to the airport police station thing or security office where he argues with the captain who refuses to listen. Who still hasn't locked the door and McLean just walks straight in with a machine gun. Right, now this bit, mate. Now this this is the big, the biggest leap. McLean makes his point by shooting his weapon at the captain and hoping that the rest of the precinct don't shoot him in response. <laughs> Luckily, they fucking don't. <laughs> Because let me tell you now, if you've got an argument with the police, you show up with a gun and start shooting the place up. And trust me, it will work apparently because they'll accept their death. Fucking <laughs> that's brutal as fuck. Anyway, they don't react. McLean meets the cop from the beginning of the movie and it looks like the police is going to war until there's a traffic jam immediately and no one goes anywhere. They sell off for this huge fight, but like police versus soldiers, they get stuck in traffic. Yeah. Who was that? Who was that character that disappeared for ages? Oh, the news reporter. Yeah, the news reporter. I wonder what she's up to. Well, she's only here. Well, she gets, oh, okay, give us a lift. So he gives her a lift. And basically they start trailing the helicopter to catch up with the baddies who are trained to make their own getaway. 
As McLean nears the climax of the film, Holly's plane is running out of fuel and they're going to have to make an emergency landing. Mm. <sighs> McLean jumps from the helicopter to the plane and takes out the military men one at a time after he stuffs his coat in there. Because, you know, if you've got like a multi-million pound plane, but one coat, mate, fucking do it. You don't know what that coat's made of, mate. You don't know how long Marv's had that underground. <laughs> That's actually very good. It could have been fucking chain mail. <laughs> there should have been a wink at that minute where he's like him. Because he gets the coat off Marv, doesn't he? Yeah. It, there should have been a bit where Marv's like, oh, it's just that coat. It's, it's, it's great for keeping the weather out and for preventing planes from taking off. <laughs> he should have like he should have been like the fucking Gladwell. He should have gone right. If you use this, it will keep you warm. But if you use this correctly, mm. the plane won't. And then take Mark off. should have just disappeared like the ghost of Christmas past. <laughs> or or McLean should like turn around on the plane and on the wing. He sees Marv as he's just like a shadowy figure as he like disappears in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> that that scene. So he prevents the plane from taking off. He's on the wing somehow. Now also, McLean's boots are made of fucking glue because he's not flying off. Mate, any gravity boots. <laughs> The John Amos fight scene on here is going to be a lot more graphic as well. He obviously ends up in the uh, in the fan. I was going to say he, he ends up in the in the basically in the thing. Good thing that didn't blow up the plane's like engine. No, it fucking wouldn't make. Except for I've been on a plane once when a bird flew into the engine and we had to fucking change air. I've seen Sully, mate. I've seen that movie. Like Tom Hanks has to fucking land that plane on the Hudson because of a pigeon. What I've written here is that he takes but, a- John Amos is made of jelly. <laughs> it's what you've got written there. <laughs> No, I just go. He throws Major Grant into the jet engine, then he bites the colonel like a little sissy bitch. Because yeah. I remember the colonel's beating his ass. What I love about this is, no, no, one at a time. It's mm. just like, we're military men, we're men of honor. What about the guys who throw? No, 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 one at a time. Also, don't tell any of the other guards who are literally smoking cigars and having the fucking time of their life. Yeah. And also, they've taken no hostages. So, that I, I, like, you would let that plane go up and then shoot it down. Yeah, exactly. There's, 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 there's nothing to stop them from going, no. <laughs> just, 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 no. You'd take some hostages just to prevent it from being blown up, wouldn't you? Also, with this bit as well, the, uh, it's a fuck it, they missed the boat in this bit. William Sadler should have come out on the wing naked. <laughs> like, that. <laughs> the beginning of the movie sets up that this is why he loses James. He only wins at cry when he's naked. Oh, just, just love, just love this idea. Like he's in there with the general who's who's, who's driving the plane. He's just like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, no. it's like I'm getting naked. <laughs> he's got baby oil. <laughs> Anyone got a remote? Yeah. If, 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 if you were McLean. McLean's just taken Mate, what's, out. What's scary though? What's scary is like a bloke doing cry with a fucking naked bloke Exactly. Because you, you're not expecting that, are you? The fucking door opens. <laughs> like, you've just knocked off John Amos's grant into the engine. There's blood everywhere, all that kind of stuff. And then you, you're not expecting William Sadler just to come out on the wing. Naked. naked. <laughs> come on then. And then we'd see how much of a man McLean really is. <laughs> Mate, what's the point? What's the point to even read the rest of this? Um, also, this scene was meant to be a lot more brutal as well. So I found this one a bit disappointing. So uh, the colonel kicks him off the edge, and he's he's got enough time to fiddle about with the engine, uh, and then he and then the colonel wins. He kicks him off. McLean just kind of like rolls, you know, disappearing. But there's there's liquid. Mm. What's this mean? Oh no! McLean removes his lighter, utters yippee kaye motherfucker, ignites the fuel left behind, which follows the train all the way across the runway, reaching the plane and exploding it. The other planes use this trail of destruction as a guide to land the planes, and McLean has saved the day. Now, what I'm going to say about here is the first plane that lands is McLean's, uh, Holly. Holly's, yeah. Holly's. And it follows a train up and down. If you watch it, it stops right at the wreckage, which means that the other planes under this guy are fucked, because when they land, they're going to mm. go straight into the other plane that's landed. It's fucking bullshit. Got a taxi to the terminal, mate. 
He even said that to the general when he fucking stay in your seat till the plane reaches the terminal. No frequent flyer miles for, for you. For you, yes. Yeah, but not Holly's plane. No, you stay there, right next to the big fire, preventing the other planes from crashing, so, from landing. So there was a there was Die Hard two Die Harder. Die Harder. I mean, he does Die Harder in this one. I will actually let's point out. I, I actually quite enjoyed it. I, I don't know. Maybe it's been a long time since I've seen it because it's always been a Die Hard film I avoided. But they, this film is up to its ball wasn't Christmas. This film is more Christmas than Die Hard. If you, if you believe Die Hard is a Christmas movie, you must accept the universal truth that it's Die Hard 2, Die Harderist. is a Christmas movie. It is. There are some things that make this movie instantly rewatchable and going back. I mean, the idea, the, the idea of a fucking naked fight at the end, mate, he's fucking boss. Because, because that would have been amazing if John McClane, who's at this point throughout the movies has always used clothes. Yes. <laughs> he's like, I see your game. <laughs> Two naked <laughs> men make a fight. <laughs> It, it it reminds us of a time when Bruce Willis gave a shit. Yep. It gives it's it's lingering on that eighties like nostalgic brilliance. Like it pretty much is an eighties movie. Yeah. You know, it's all shot in the eighties. It came out in the nineties. William Afton, all these kind of characters that you like, which was big in the eighties kind of thing. It's got other characters like Art Evans as Barnes and Fred Thompson as Trudeau. The kind of the two chiefs in the. Mm. Um, Tower. Like, I like them two characters. I like them oh, two they're, actors. They're very good. I'd like to point out that I think Barnes is a better uh, psychic than Valjean. Guess what? Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying. And like I said, it's just got loads of scenes in it that I that I love. It, it's got a real aesthetic to Die Hard too. You know, like at no point do I believe that they're in an airport in any scene <laughs> because apparently you can just walk in anywhere. You walk backstage, you can look at all this. You know, for for an airport with so many police, it's amazing how many of them are not doing anything. Yep. It also is starkly contrast of like it being the busiest place in the world at the beginning of that movie. But then when shit starts going down, not a soul. No one notices that a plane has just crashed. What I love about this is, is oh, sugar, sorry, listeners. Um, what I love about this is at one point they turn on the TV, which is how William Atherton is about to, you know, he makes everyone panic by, you know, everyone's talking about he's on the airplane. They turn on the TV and it's his news report that makes everyone like panic. Mm. But not the fact that a plane has fucking crashed. <laughs> and there's no apparent news story on that. <laughs> it's just like, oh, it's your plane crashed today. Because <laughs> it's a British plane. <laughs> and also it's because, you know, the general as well, all that kind of shit. Like, you, there's a lot going on. You could simplify this movie a hell of a lot, you know, but it's still entertaining. I still I, I still think, you know, it doesn't need all the bloods and gore and uh, blood and guts and everything there's got in it. But it is entertaining. It's it's. I don't watch it enough. I don't think. Do you know what? I agree with you because I always skip this line. It goes one and three, and I always miss two. And do you know what? I regret it. I actually this to me is up there with pure nineties bollocks. And I'm pointing over there with cliffhanger. And that film doesn't make any sense. John Lithgow is trying to find money with fucking Dan from EastEnders up against fucking Rocky Balboa. That film that's fucking horrible. But do you know what, mate? It's a brilliant film. Fucking, I love the. Uh, this to me is perfect nineties action bollocks. Yeah, I love it. I I really enjoyed watching it this time around. And you made it better, mate, because I'll never watch this film now and not expect a fucking naked bollock karate fight on the wing of a plane. Would make it better. It would make it better. Dial 2. Um, vault? It's probably not Vault. It's probably not Vault. It's probably really. not Vault, but, but do you know what? The Adventures of John McClane. Mm. There for the Vault. And I still stand. I think we did this at the Die Hard episode that we did like two years ago. For me, it's one, three, four, two, five. One, three... Two, four, five. Oh. Two has gone up. I really like this film. Four's worth a revisit, man. Four, four. I know it is. I quite like it. There's only one bad film now. And the fifth one, I'll be honest, the fifth one is quite, he's circling the pigs. It's shit. It is bad, isn't it? <laughs> it's really bad. Do you, do you, 
think they just put a nail in it now and end Diod, or do you think they? Because we keep getting promised this McLean film. I think if they if they're gonna do it, they need to. If they want to do McLean, I don't think I think McLean's done. What they need to do is they need to do another franchise, which McLean is like a. And I said they should do this with twenty four as well. Is the McLean character should be the older experience who tries to give them advice. Mm. It's like, well, this is what I did. Nostalgia it like Ghostbusters. Like they're not the forefront, but they have the ideas. So the, the Bruce Willis pitched the idea to the studio that if he did the sixth movie, he would the film would start with him chained in a like warehouse to a chair, bloody and beaten. And the villain, the person who's tormenting him and torturing him, it has a backstory. And then it cuts to a younger McLean, a street cop in New York um, in the early 80s. And then that's where the story takes place. And then it ends and resolves back in modern day. So you, you find out all the backstory. Oh, and all that. I can see that. So that's what he pitched to the studios and said, I would do that. That makes sense. That's a really good idea. If 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 the actor who plays John McLean, old Bruce Willis, hadn't turned his own name into box office poison, <laughs> it became the, di- the, became mm. to the direct to... DVD been king. Because I do think also Bruce Willis is beyond help now. Yes. In terms of his career. He works with one director now and he he gets paid for about two hours worth of film he's done. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe that dream is gone because that dream has been around for what? Over five years now, hasn't it? That rumour that McLean was coming. I remember the the biggest rumour at the height of 24 was that that Bruce Willis was going to appear in one episode. They did a limited edition comic strip year one, which was McLean as a beat cop. You see, that's what I want to do. If you're going to do it, do him as a beat cop who comes across like, I don't know. Do you know what? Let it go. Tell a different story. Now. I think McLean's done. Die Hard 1 is a brilliant mm. film. Die Hard 2 had, do you know what? I had so much fun to it. Quite like. Die Hard 3 is a is a somehow grittier version of that as it holds up. Die Hard 4 is your nostalgia run. Die Hard 5 was a movie too far. Let's learn our lessons. Die Hard's done. Well, Die Hard 5 as well, and I keep going back to this. If, if, the, if the evolution of John McLean from 1 to 2 the criticism that Bruce Willis had was that he was brought in to just um, reference the first movie, you know, like talking about going through vents and that yeah. kind of thing and same shit. How can it happen to the same guy twice? He said that the second one didn't give him any room to like expand the character. But what it did do is it changed that character's arc from being, like say, the anti-hero, the person who didn't really want to save the day, but he's kind of forced to because his wife was one of the hostages to no, he is the man now to get the job done. Kind of pulls that back in the third one a little bit with the kind of washed up, drunk, hungover. He's been suspended. And he's purposely, he's kind of like, he's hunted because there's a personal vendetta. Yeah. So he's not he's not involved in it until he's forced to be involved in By it. By the time we get to the fourth one, which I do like, it is generic action movie. And then the fifth and one- And is the definition of, basically they took the idea of an analog cop in a digital world and fucking genuinely, oh, made, genuinely they, made it. They ran that home, didn't they? <laughs> like, and- um, you know, in the whole bit with like the fighter jet and you know all that kind yeah. of stuff, like it's great popcorn shit. Yeah. But then by the fifth one, it, there's just nothing left of McLean. Like he literally is driving cars over innocent people's vehicles to get to a bad guy, putting in danger so many innocent people. You know that if you look at him in the first movie, that's so detached from the character that it makes that fifth movie just painful to watch. Mm. I but agree. Hey ho, um, we do have, and that is the the beauty of uh, cinema. We have the second one to look back on, the first one to look back on, the third one to look back on. We've done three Dowd movies. We will probably do Dowd four next year because we're in our fourth year, I think, or whatever yeah. we're in. So we'll probably do Dowd four at some point. And then just as the world's ending, we'll do the fifth one because that's the only way I'll ever watch that film again. That that would have to do an episode that's like. Shit, going back and watching a movie that you guaranteed is crap to see if it's any good because yeah. there's no there's, I'm not rushing back to watch that fifth one James 
Um, that's our show for this week. Uh, as we said at the top, do have a great Christmas. Uh, have a awesome new year. Thanks for sticking with us. Next week, we've got our best of 2021 where we will be crowning our favourite movies. And, you know, it's just a bit of fun. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything like the Oscars. So, <laughs> Just like the Oscars. Also, also ours make more sense because we'll just do films in 2021. Yeah. <laughs> So do uh, do join us for that one. But as always, thank you for the likes. Thank you for the subscribing. If you can leave us a review, that'd be brilliant. But if not, subscribe and you'll get a new episode each and every week. Don't see you later. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good night. Goodbye.